Welcome back to another episode of The Actors Room. My name's Jeff Tarowski. This episode, episode number 96, by the way, 100, boy, I'll tell you, it's coming. Oh, it's on its way. But this week, we're going to discuss just an amazing story. There's so much information about this situation that it's almost too much. You can go into the rabbit hole of Amanda Knox, Meredith Kircher, Raphael Selecito, and Rudy Guede. And it's almost impossible to claw your way out. But there are facts and there are rumors about the whole thing. And I'm going to try to do the best I can on my show to the best of my ability, of course, to explain a few things, give my opinions, although, of course, don't take them 100%, of course. I mean, they're my opinions about what happened on November 1st, 2007, the night Meredith Kircher was murdered in cold blood. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, open up that beverage of choice. One that you love, even if it's just ice water. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Actors Room. Here we go. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Actors Room. I really appreciate it. Getting a lot of support lately from my shows, mostly my docs. This is turning into a doc slash acting uh, podcast. And I'm okay with that. So thank you so much uh, for listening to my other docs, which are getting great hits on YouTube. It's great. Love it. People are actually leaving replies on my show and it's amazing to me that the interaction that I'm getting with other people make me appreciate doing this show because I hardly ever got comments before talking about actors like nobody really cares about the life of James Kahn okay I get it I am interested but a lot of other people really just aren't that much But people love docs. Me too. In this one. The Amanda Knox documentary. Was put out by Netflix. A few years back. It was produced and directed. By Amanda Knox supporters. Like I've said. Many times in the past. All docs. No matter what they are. Well, pretty much all of them. Revolving around a theme that is controversial. Our bias. They're going to sway you in one way or another. And it's your job as a viewer of these docs to take, not to take everything they say to heart. Do your own research. 
But when I sat down to watch this doc for the very first time a few years ago when it came out, folks, I've been mildly obsessed with this case. Uh, When I first heard about it, watching a uh, BBC documentary done. And the first time I was aware of Amanda Knox and Meredith Kircher and that whole thing, I didn't know. I was intrigued by Knox. She's pretty. She's quirky. Um, Me seeing Amanda and the way she acted and the whole situation unfolding around her, the death of Meredith, was intriguing to me. Because I didn't know one way or another if I believed her in what she said. She's a very shady character. But does that make her guilty? No. It doesn't. Just because she's shady doesn't mean she had anything to do with the death of Meredith Kircher. So let's start off this show. Hi, (laughs) I'm Jeff, and thank you once again diving into the documentary put out by Netflix called Amanda Knox. Wow, what a catchy title. The title of the doc is Amanda Knox. Hey, it's right there for you, folks. No bullshit. I wonder what the doc is going to be about. I think it's about Amanda Knox. (laughs) And we'll slip in a little bit of Meredith Kircher. Just a little bit. Because Meredith was the victim, right? Poor Meredith, of course. And she should get the most spotlight surrounding this whole thing. But no, Meredith is sort of just pushed aside. Oh yeah, she was murdered in cold blood that night in November of 2007 in her apartment in Italy and how tragic that is. But we have to really dive into Amanda and why. Because she's quirky? Sure. She was there. That was the apartment building she lived in as well. Amanda and Meredith were roommates. For a very short period of time. In Italy. Amanda is from Seattle. And after high school she got a few jobs. Made enough money to go out. And move to Perugia, Italy. To study. Sort of like a foreign exchange student program. And her roommate was Meredith. A British student who was very serious about her schooling, as opposed to Amanda, who was more about just having fun. That was just Amanda. Although very serious in some ways, Amanda, very bright, was able to speak different languages at a young age. At the age of 19, 20 years old, Amanda, though not fluent, could speak very well German and Italian. And here she was in a town she loved. And this is Amanda. Here she is in Italy. She had been there before, couldn't wait to get back. And there she was, a cute, sexy American in Italy. And in Italy, the American girl is exotic to the locals. That's just the way it happens, folks. She went from being cute in Seattle 
to being hot and exotic in Italy. She even got a job at a bar because she was American. And the owner felt that Amanda could bring in customers. That's just the way it works. So a little background on Amanda and Meredith. Meredith, a British student, pretty, sweet, quiet, wholesome. A bit of a distinction between Meredith and Amanda here. A little background on personality. They clashed a little. And being roommates, when you live with someone, you really do find out about who they really are. (laughs) And uh, Meredith was a little, hmm, about Amanda and how she lived. The fact that she would bring different men home. Meredith didn't like it. And they also had two other roommates as well. Uh, I think they were doctor students. They were studying to be doctors. And they lived in like a duplex. So the girls, Meredith, Amanda, and the two students, lived in the top part of the duplex. And then you had four boys, young men, who lived in the bottom half. So you can only imagine the parties that went on there, right? I mean, all these people in their early 20s, you got four girls on top and four boys on the bottom. So I'm sure there's a lot of people coming in and out of there, okay? Both men and women, parties, get-togethers, just people enjoying life. I mean, here they are, they're young, right? But you're going to have a clash of personalities where one kid is going to want things to be a little bit more quiet than loud. Or the other is the opposite. There you go. Wanted to set that up. Because that's going to play into some of the theories that I have. But what the hell happened on the night of November 1st, 2007? In the title of this show, Amanda Knox. The Doc Done by Netflix. Let's dive into this doc. And while I review the doc or mention things about the doc, I will probably put in other comments as well. Facts, my opinion on certain things that happened in the doc, and then what I feel happened in real life. Doing character analysis, things like that. And I want to say right off the bat, too, before I get into the doc. I don't know one way or another about Amanda Knox's involvement. I want to put that on the table. I've always been pretty much right down the middle about this whole thing. I want that to be known. And it might change throughout my analysis of this show while just doing it. And if that happens, it happens. If not, it doesn't. But I want to let you know. I still don't know one way or another. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Did Amanda have a hand in Meredith's death? Did she have a hand in it? Was she there? Let's talk about the doc. I find it interesting that in the doc, the Italians pronounce Knox, Amanda's last name, with actually pronouncing the K. They say 
Amanda Canox. I like to point out these things. I don't know. <laughs> They're doing it phonetically. I get it, right? I mean, they don't know her name. It could be Canox. It's not. In America, uh, that last name, uh, the K, it's like it's not there. It really should be uh, N-O-C-K-S. When you look at it, you go Knox. That's how it's pronounced. Not Canox. The crime footage that they show at the beginning of the doc, where it's real crime scene footage, and you see Meredith's foot. And I have a hard time saying Meredith. When I'm talking fast, Meredith, you see her foot just coming out of the blankets on the floor of her bedroom where she has been murdered. And this is the next day. The cops, of course, are doing what they got to do. Um, and they're taking crime scene footage. And there's video in this doc of, I mean, a fresh crime scene. And there you see Meredith's foot. I don't know. There's something about crime scene footage. As interesting as it is, and it is, it's uh, quite revealing, disturbing. And you actually see it. Like, not that many hours before that, that beautiful, young, vibrant, smart, young woman was alive. And now she is gone. In just a hellish act that happened to her not that long before that. Just sort of makes you, whoa. Think about stuff. I put here, because Amanda is shown next. You know, in a doc you have that, uh, where you have some of the people just, uh, you know, sitting there with a, a fake backdrop of something, you know, cute, whatever. A fake backdrop. A backdrop. I meant that, you know, sometimes in a backdrop, there would be like a fake scene, like an ocean scene. It's not really an ocean behind her. But I'm just saying, you know, in the dock, they have Amanda just sitting there talking, commenting about shit. So here we go. Amanda's there by herself uh, talking to the camera. And I put, it's always about her, isn't it? Like... It's always about her. She's the main topic of discussion. Always. And if you notice, when she gets emotional, right, and she's kind of crying a bit, it's always about her. Like, that's when she gets emotional. When it's about her. And of course, that doesn't make her guilty, folks. I'm just pointing out things that I noticed. That's all. And here's her revealing quote in the very beginning of this doc. Quote, I'm either a psychopath with sheep's clothing or I am you, end of quote. Um, Amanda, um, I'm not like you. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just, I don't like that quote because she's kind of, you know, making a comparison that, you know, I'm like you. Well, no, you're not because I don't know you. Okay, I, I only get snippets of footage of you. Interviews you do, which are so completely horrible. Amanda, your interviews, I don't believe one fucking word that comes out of your mouth because it looks like you're lying. It might be that you're uncomfortable, okay? I don't know how I would be giving an interview. I've never given one. I don't know. Would I seem fake because I'm nervous? 
or I'm just weird in that way, giving an interview. But it's pretty revealing to me, watching somebody in an interview, just conversing with someone, you get a lot out of it. She's dodgy. She's just, looks like she isn't revealing everything. Am I right or am I wrong? Even if you feel Amanda is 100% innocent, and she might be, okay? You can't deny how fake she seems. Look into her eyes. <laughs> eyes have a lot to say. They really do. And it just might be because she's weird and different. Okay. A lot of people are weird and different. But does it seem like she's lying? Okay. We're going to move on. This might be a two-parter. I'm going to be completely amazed if I can make this into one part. Maybe it'll be a really long episode. I might cut it up. We'll see. It depends on how the voice holds up, folks. Right now, it's not bad. But a half hour from now, it could be bad. (laughs) Continuing on with this documentary and this situation. Oh, and by the way, I want to mention this before I move on. My episode of Corey Haim called The Corey Haim Situation. I'm sorry. I guess it was one of the worst shows ever on YouTube. I got comments that it was just bad. And I'm sorry. I didn't realize uh, that show was that horrible. My apologies. And I'm going to try to get better. And what I find interesting is that the people that left the comments on The Corey Haim Show saying it was a bad show. And they can't get that hour back into their lives again because it's just gone. I feel bad about that. Um, and I responded to them saying, well, thanks for listening anyway. Thanks for the feedback. What would you recommend uh, me improving on? You know, constructive criticism's great. If you're going to tell me my show is horrible. And then I reach back out to you and say, well, thanks for the comment. What do you suggest I do better? Where was I fucking up? Was it the information? Was it my delivery? Was it just my opinion? And then I receive no comment back. It's okay. All right. Fine. Why leave a a comment, a negative one, which, hey, if I get a comment, that's great. I don't like negative comments. Who does? But when you're going to put a negative comment, like, and I respond to you, I think it's would be pretty normal to get a response back. If you're going to put a negative comment, it'd be nice to hear something from you. And I find it interesting that neither of them got back to me. What the fuck? Well, tell me what I did wrong, man. <laughs> you're horrible. How? You're just horrible. Uh, but how? You just are. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I'll definitely get better now. All right. So yeah, sorry about that. Let's get back to the doc. Wow. Uh, She says, quote, what makes you strange? Kind of saying, hey, I'm strange. Okay, you're strange too. We are. We're all strange in our own way. Okay. Thank you for putting that out, Amanda. (laughs) Wow. You're so enlightening. (laughs) All right. She explains to the audience that when you put in her name in Google... Like, thousands of results pop up. She's so popular. I think she kind of likes it. Although in the doc, she's saying it like, it's just been so horrific. All the press reactions and the fact that I don't have a life anymore about what happened. And if I'm innocent, you know, 
This is just horrible. I mean, I have no animate, 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 animate. God, I hope I can cut that out. I hate saying that word. Animidity. If I say it fast, it just doesn't come out. I sounded like such a moron there. Please don't hate me. But the simple fact that she can't walk down the street, I get it. That's horrible if you're innocent. I mean, if you are innocent and you had nothing to do with Meredith's death, nothing, nothing at all, completely innocent, and she spends years in prison, and then when you get out of prison, you're just hounded by the press. I mean, there you go. But somebody that's hounded by the press and hates it, but gives all these interviews and makes docs. Um, really? If you hate that so much, the attention, why bring more attention to yourself? Think about that. That makes no sense, does it? Huh? <laughs> if you really want everything to sort of go away, don't write a book. Don't do a doc. Don't give interviews. Maybe do a couple when you get out and kind of talk about it and thank people, right? Thank you for your support. Uh, this part of my life is over, thank God. And I have every right to just slip under. Leave me alone. And eventually they will. If you don't pop your head up, people will eventually let it go. Amanda can't let it go. What does that say about her and her situation? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm, am I right? I think I am. Maybe I'm not. I'm sh- Maybe the audience right now, looking at their phone or device, going, Jeff, she's doing these docs and writing a book because she wants it out there. She's innocent. Me? If that happened to me and most people out there, I really think that they would lay low. I do. Like, why would you want to keep bringing it up? You want to absolve it in your soul, okay? Make peace with it within you and move on the rest of your life the best you can. Like, I really believe that. Amanda's not doing that. So what is that saying? Moving on. Her interviews, and I mentioned that. I don't believe them. All right. A doctor, uh, what is this? Oh, I'm sorry. A doctor. <laughs> My notes, they're handwritten, folks. Handwritten. I'm not working right now. I work for Xerox, okay? And uh, I've been to work once in the past three months. I have to handwrite stuff, okay? And sometimes I can't read my handwriting. So, here we go. The documentary shows Knox at home being natural and relatable. In the doc, they show her getting out of her car, bringing in groceries. She goes in her house, and she's just being Amanda, right? She's preparing dinner. And what is she preparing with? A big fucking knife. If I was doing this doc, I probably wouldn't have a knife in the doc. Meredith was killed with a knife. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I I want your opinion on this. 
Would there be any knives whatsoever in Amanda's hand? Whether she's guilty or not. <laughs> Whether she's in a kitchen preparing food or not. Okay? <laughs> no knives. Uh-uh. We can fast forward after you cut up the lettuce and carrots and whatnot. You're going to put into your beautiful salad. And she's sipping on wine. And she's got cats. She's homely. Right? And you feel for her. She's natural. You're right. It's relatable. That's what we do in our homes. We prepare dinner. We sip on wine. And we have our little animals in the house. Amanda's just a, a normal girl. That, the doc sets it up that way. You need to point that stuff out. How truthful is it? I don't know. But they're setting shit up. And they are. Docs do that. All right. She says she's different. I buy that. Everyone's different. Everyone's quirky. Hell, I'll tell you something. She ain't that quirky. Crispin Glover, that's quirky. Amanda, she's just strange. All right, here we go. The setting. Perugia, Italy. And let's set up what happened as far as the facts. I mean, we're talking cold, hard facts of what happened on November 1st, 2007. And and here we go. Meredith Kircher, at the age of 21, British student, was murdered in her apartment sometime after I believe 1030 on that night she was found the next morning because two of her cell phones were found in a field or near somebody's house they were just thrown there by someone it was reported by a neighbor that phones were found and police were contacted the police of course found that they were Meredith's phone phones (laughs) and wanted to bring them back to her. When the police showed up at the apartment, they noticed Amanda and Raffaele Selecito, Amanda's boyfriend of five days, folks. I've heard one week, I've heard two weeks, I've heard three weeks. Five days, Amanda and Raffaele were together. Hot and heavy romance. Five-day romance, but they're young and free, right? Well, Rafe, Raphael, and Amanda were seen outside the apartment, standing outside. And I've also heard that when the cops showed up, they found Amanda with a mop and bleach. <clears throat> hey, man, you can clean whenever you want. But moments later, of course, uh, they... Went into the apartment. Meredith's door was locked. Amanda claims that was normal to have her room locked like that. Uh, The roommates, the other roommates that were living with them, said that was not normal. Bust the door down. And it was reported that Amanda and Raffaele delayed that door being opened. It was inevitable, folks. That door is going to be opened. But there's a lot of fishy things that played into that death and the circumstances surrounding the involvement of Amanda and Raphael. 
setting up how she was found. And that's how she was found. Police broke down the door and there you go. Okay, moving on with the doc. Whew. Amanda got a job. Amanda got a job at a bar. The owner of the bar was Patrick Lumumba. He'll come up pretty soon. <laughs> Big deal there. She meets, this is Amanda, meets Raffaella Selecita at a musical, classical performance that Amanda went to alone. I've heard reports that she went with Meredith. I heard reports that she went with friends. Uh-uh. She went alone. I think even Amanda claimed she took Meredith with her. She wasn't with anybody. She was there by herself. Noticed Raffaele at the concert. And liked him immediately because he reminded her of Harry Potter. She's a big Harry Potter fan. Me too. My whole family is. So I like that about Amanda. We're big Harry Potter fans too. Raffaele kind of looked like Harry Potter. So she's like, woohoo, gave him a look. He was surprised because he's a dork. I mean, I think he's kind of a good looking guy. I, I do. Um, she was attracted to him. And he's looking around like, is she looking at me? This cute, very attractive American is looking at me. <laughs> She put her claws into this guy, okay, <laughs> who's probably a virgin. I'm not saying he was. I think he was about 20, 21, a year older than her. I don't, I think that uh, he was pretty uh, virginal. Hey, hey, God bless him. She wasn't, folks. <clears throat> Although she didn't have a lot of male lovers, I mean, she was 20. Okay. She had enough. You know, I'm not saying she was a whore. She wasn't. Uh, but she enjoyed life and being with men. I think she said she had seven lovers at the age of 20. All right. It's not that much, I don't think. I don't. Um, but it was said that on her way to Italy, she met somebody on a train and had sex on the train. Uh, you know, hey, woo, woo. <laughs> Ooh, kinky. Ooh. <laughs> but she wasn't afraid to sort of, you know, mess around. She was cute. She was hot. She could probably get almost any guy she wanted, Amanda. And she got Raffaele the week before Meredith died. And they were just hot and heavy, always together. A young romance. Getting back to my notes, she meets Selecito. All right. Got that out of the way. Okay, got to bring up this guy, the prosecutor, the lawyer, the cop, that most people just despise. Mignini. What do I feel about this guy? He's cocky. Oh, he, he overflows cockiness. He's very comfortable within his skin. Um, very confident about what he believes. And when he walked into this crime scene, and saw Amanda and Raffaele at the crime scene and how they acted. He became immediately suspicious of them, folks. Amanda, and we'll call him Rafe. Raff. Raff? Rafe? <laughs> I don't like saying Raffaele all the time. I'm going to call him Raff. He saw Raff and Amanda just outside the crime scene. 
smooching, kissing, loving, doving. <laughs> and I get it. Hey, hey. They're comforting each other. Some people see this as a non-issue. Oh, they're just comforting one another. And they are, actually. But what are they comforting the situation about? Um, um, the, the fact that Meredith was killed, yes. I get that. They're emotional. That is an inappropriate time to be smoochy-smoochy. Although it's a couple of little kisses. It's not like they're fucking making out. Tongue and everything. That wasn't the case. But at that time, you really think it's appropriate to be kissing each other right outside the crime scene? <laughs> For me, I think it is an issue. In Magnini, the cop, saw this stuff. And that may not have been the only kiss they gave each other. Or the other interactions that they were giving each other that day. Of the discovery. What else were they doing that made the cop so suspicious of them? Okay. Cops just don't point out people. I, I just, I live in that world, folks. And although there are dirty cops, bad cops. Of course there are. Most cops don't just finger point people on a whim. For no reason whatsoever. People are suspicious because, guess what? They're suspicious. And you got to look into them. And that's what the cop, right off the bat, this is a roommate. You got to look into all the roommates and who they know. And right off the bat, Amanda is number one on the list, acting weird. And let's get into Amanda's alibi. Because, of course, they're going to ask her, where were you? I was with my boyfriend. Fine. They had turned off their cell phones at exactly the same time. The evening of Meredith's death. And turned them on at exactly the same time. At 6 (laughs) a.m. Both were known to sleep in. They didn't sleep in that morning. Why? (laughs) What were they doing? I mean, that doesn't make them guilty. This is all circumstantial evidence. All these little facts that will lead up to my question of what involvement or what was she doing, her and Raph. Raph, I'm going to get that right. What were they doing? (laughs) Okay. She says that that night of the murder, she had a phone call from a, a text from her boss saying she didn't have to come in. It was slow. I've had that happen to me working in restaurants. It's so slow. Don't come in. Come in tomorrow. When it's busy. So Amanda had the night off. She was happy about that. She got to spend time with Raph. They watched a film. They had dinner. They smoked some weed. They made love. And then they fell asleep. The next morning. I guess Raph's plumbing was bad. She couldn't take a shower there. So she decided to go to her place. To take a shower. She noticed her front door. Was ajar. Hmm, when I come home, and I have owned many homes, if my door was ever ajar, and it has happened a few times, probably two times in my entire life, where I've come home, and my door is ajar, and both times, we're like, oh shit, like, things go off, like, oh, somebody may have broken into my house. B- 
because I'm pretty sure I closed and locked my door. And if it's ajar, you become suspicious that somebody might be in your home. Now, Amanda says there was an issue with the door. And sometimes it would be like that. Or there was just issues with the door. So she didn't think too much of it. Okay. Plus the fact she's a girl too. Alone. Coming into a home with a door ajar. I think a woman or a girl would feel even more vulnerable in that way. Did Amanda feel so safe in that town that having a door ajar didn't make her suspicious? Is it possible? Of course it is. Is it likely? Think about it though. You're a woman. You come home, your door's ajar. Are you suspicious? Really think about it. Are you? Most of you are going to say, of course I am. I'm going to be like, I'm not even going in there without somebody else. My wife, she found our door ajar. She stepped back 10 feet and said, Jeff, check it out. (laughs) I know, right? I got to check it out. (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Praise God. If someone did break in, (laughs) you know, uh, please (laughs) let them be gone. So I had to point that out. She's not suspicious. She enters the home. She's got to take a shower. She notices blood droplets on the faucet in the bathroom. (laughs) She doesn't think too much of it. Hey, a little bit of blood, she says. Just a little bit of blood. Somebody, maybe their nose was bloody. Hmm. In a apartment full of young women. And you out there uh, who bleed. Say in your bathroom. You just leave it there. Blah, blah, blah. Just, oh my God, my, oh, my nose is bleeding or... Yeah, earring just done, right? You got a new earring and all this blood is just gushing out of you. Um, and whoa, I just left a mess in my sink and I just walk away. So she found it peculiar, but not enough to run out of the house at that point because door being a jar and blood on the faucet isn't enough <laughs> to make you leave. Most women would be running out of that house at that point. Not Amanda. What does she do? She takes a shower. Um, How vulnerable are you when you take a shower? Pretty vulnerable. A, you're naked. (laughs) I I hope most are. Uh, Some people out there might be afraid to be naked and put on their swim trunks going in there, but I would probably say most people, 99.99999% take a shower completely naked. (laughs) Uh, Are you any more vulnerable in your life than you are in a shower? No, (laughs) you're not, man. You can't get more vulnerable, but there she is taking a shower. Hey. She's a tough girl, man. Doors open. Blood's in the bathroom. I'm going to take a shower. And she does. Then after she leaves said shower, just refreshed. I hope she used conditioner. (laughs) Hair looking all flowy. 
And it doesn't, by the way. You see footage of Amanda Knox the day they find Meredith when she's smooching Raph outside the house. Oh, look at her hair. Does it look like she washed it? Folks, you gotta really, like, when you see certain bits of information or clues, just common sense. And not just take things, what people say, but actually look at the details. When she's outside smooching with Raph, look at her hair. It looks like she hasn't taken a shower in a few days, let alone a few hours before that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she just is one of those people that take uh, a shower, okay? And then hours later, it looks like they didn't take a shower at all. It could be it. Folks, hey, but when I look at her, she didn't look freshly bathed to me. But anyways, she steps out of the shower and notices a bath mat with a bloody footprint on it. Now, she's slowly getting a bit concerned. But that wasn't the kicker. The kicker was she found a toilet in another bathroom, unflushed, with shit in it. That was it for her. That was just okay. <laughs> there, somebody didn't flush this toilet, so instead of flushing it, <laughs> okay, think about that. Uh, Amanda didn't flush it. Why? If I found one of my toilets at the house here, okay, and I notice it's not flushed, this is my my place where I live, okay, and if I didn't do it. And I noticed someone else, like I got kids, it happens. <laughs> it's happened before. <laughs> they forget. And I'm like, oh, ew. you know, you smell it like from 20 feet away. You walk and you're like, what the fuck is that? And you're like, oh boy, toilet not flushed. I just don't walk away. <laughs> and hope that the toilet flushing gods just do it on their own. <laughs> I flush it, folks, as soon as possible. Why doesn't Amanda flush it? Hmm. Is it because at that moment she's so completely afraid of everything, putting everything together? Oh my God. Somebody was in here and they didn't flush a toilet, and my God, something's going on. And then they just leave. They're so scared at that point. She sees the shit whew, and just bolts. She can't bring herself to flush. It's just too disgusting. Wow. I would want her as a roommate. She didn't flush it for a reason, in my opinion. Now, I'm not saying this is a reason why she might be guilty. But I just, it's like she's almost saving that poop as evidence for something. It's not her poop, folks, by the way. <laughs> it's someone else's. What, was she saving it? Why didn't she flush it? Alright. In the documentary, we have... Nick Pisa, the journalist. Must talk about this guy. <laughs> Just your average run-of-the-mill media guy. Just wants to get the story. That's his job. His job is to make and put headlines on his newspaper. To be the guy. To get the story. To be the first one. In this 
situation going on here with Meredith being killed in this college town and the whole mystery around Amanda and Raph and the way they acted. It just spawned this crazy publicity. In the media, I mean, they ate it up. And Nick Pisa was the central figure in this, the press. And he had this story that was so fascinating. All these characters, so interesting. You got to run with it. And every bit of information, no matter how ludicrous it was, about what might have happened that night, in the night, I'm sorry, in the day after, boy, they ran with it. And Nick even says that he never, ever double-checked any of the information he received about what happened. Huh. There you go, folks. Little peek into the media. And even he said he didn't double-check anything. And if you're a true journalist, obviously he's not. He says he's a journalist. He's not. He might be a horrible, bad journalist, but any good journalist will tell you, you get at least three sources before you print anything. Asshole here got one source, no matter what it was, about what happened, ran with it. The media is very dangerous. And in this case, it proves just how dangerous it is. Nothing was left to chance about Amanda and Raph. No matter what you feel about Amanda Cox, okay, she was slandered. And I mean to the highest degree. Nobody should have to go through that. Although you may not approve of how Amanda uh, carried herself. Okay. And some people don't approve. It gives you no right to slander her in the press. Keep your Opinions, right? To yourself and your family and your podcast. (laughs) It's a podcast, folks. All right. And I'm letting you know right off the bat these are my opinions and they don't mean shit. You know, you may agree with an opinion of mine and nod your head and go, all right, Jeff. And then you hear another opinion of mine, completely disagree and go, what a moron. That's the way it should be. I have opinions that you're not going to agree with. And then I might have some you do. We relate. And with this case, and when you think about what Amanda and Raph went through at the hands of the press, not so much the cops. The cops are going to be throwing stuff around. That's their job. And they're trying to find out what the hell happened. The press releasing everything just... It creates confusion. And it's just not good. It's horrible. And I wanted to point out this Nick Pisa guy because he was the main guy in all this. Like His stuff was on the front page of the papers with these ridiculous headlines about Amanda and Raph, especially Amanda. Uh, But she really got it because her nickname was Foxy Noxy. This is a nickname given to her when she was a kid. Okay, it just rhymes and everything. I mean, I don't know, folks. I mean, they really did try to put Amanda in a light that was so ridiculous. Unnecessary. Just to sell papers. 
it's so wrong, but I guess that's reality, right? Poor Amanda in that way. My heart goes out to her with that. I mean, how dare we do that to anybody? Um, Because at this point, we don't know if she's guilty or not. And even to this day, okay, although there is evidence that Amanda Knox was in the apartment of the night Meredith was murdered. I mean, there's actually evidence. No matter what you feel about that evidence, okay? (laughs) No matter how you feel about it, there is evidence. Amanda was there. Is it flimsy? That's the point of question. How flimsy is it? Because Amanda says there is not one trace of her In the room, Meredith was murdered. Not one trace. And that is true. But there is a trace of Raffaele. One. In there. And there are five other traces of Amanda Knox's blood and Meredith's blood in five other places in the house besides Meredith's room where she was killed. Blood droplets of Amanda and Meredith together and droplets uh, dry within a half an hour. Okay. Got to bring up this young man. Rudy Guede. Here we go. Rudy. He was there that night. He was all over that apartment, leaving DNA everywhere. Especially in Meredith's room. I believe there was some cleanup in that room. And whoever cleaned it up left Rudy's DNA everywhere. Rudy was involved in the death of Meredith Kircher. No doubt about that one. He was there that night. He admits it. And might as well get into his story about what happened that night. This is his story, although it changed a little bit here and there. (laughs) This is what he says. He met Meredith a few nights before. They danced. They shared a kiss. She invited him over. He came over. They talked. They kissed. They almost had sex. Stopped because Rudy says neither of them had a condom. Okay. So they necked. I think they had a little bit of oral pleasure. That's what he says. Now, this is his story. I guess he had a bad meal earlier that day. And it started messing with him a little bit down in there. Excused himself. And went to the bathroom. He says he was in the bathroom for around 10 minutes. Listened to two or three songs on his iPad. iPod. iPod. (laughs) And in the process of relieving himself, listening to songs on his iPod, he heard a ruckus coming out in Meredith's room. Screams, whatnot. He gets scared, gets up, doesn't flush the toilet because, whoa, what happened? Goes out to the other room and notices a man that hurt Meredith. He doesn't recognize said man. He just sees a silhouette. I love that. He says, I saw a silhouette of a man. 
did what he did to uh, uh, Meredith, okay, and left. And there I was with a poor girl on the verge of death. He freaks out, gets towels, tries to help her, picks her up, takes her into his arms, freaking out, trying to do something for her. Gets scared and leaves for Germany. That's his story. Um, boy, that story is so ridiculous. I almost believe none of it. <laughs> the only part I believe is the fact that he took a shit there. That's it. Uh, that is the only part of the story that makes sense to me. I just get a feeling uh, Meredith uh, didn't have a thing for him. I just, I might be wrong on that. Maybe she did. I think Rudy had a thing for her. Rudy actually explained that he was friends with the boys that lived downstairs uh, below the girls. They would play basketball together. So he would be around that apartment. Uh, Amanda knew Rudy. She says she didn't really know him. And that might be true, but she knew of him. He would be around that place. And Rudy said that he was attracted to Amanda and Meredith. Because he was around them. Would see them. And how he would joke with the guys how attractive both of them were. Of course, guys do that. Rudy Gwayday. <laughs> what was his part in this? I mean, he was there, folks. That's undisputable. But what was his involvement? How much of his story is correct? Because uh, there was a Skype call that Rudy gave with a friend before he was captured by police. Mind you, this is a kid being recorded. He doesn't know he's being recorded. Talking to a buddy right before they capture him. Rudy says he was there and Amanda had nothing to do with it. Whoa! That right there is that exonerating Cox. Cox. Knox. <laughs> Knox. I, I, always, I, I don't know what. I almost said Knox and it came out Cox. It's Knox. Rudy saying to a friend that Amanda wasn't there. I find this so interesting. Is that Rudy being truthful there? Then Amanda wasn't there. It was just him. And some strange figure that just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> to hurt Meredith that night. Hmm. Um, is he lying? Knowing Amanda was there. But if he says that she was. It may implicate him further. So it's very questionable to me. Rudy saying Amanda wasn't there in confidence with a friend without thinking anybody's listening makes me believe that Rudy probably was telling the truth there and Amanda wasn't there. But how do you explain droplets of blood that Amanda and Meredith had? It, what is that? In her suspicious behavior. There was a witness at trial who said, it was a shopkeeper, said that he saw Amanda Knox outside his store bright and early that morning. Meredith was found looking for bleach. This is 
testimony given by somebody at trial. <laughs> and he says he saw Amanda, or someone that looked very much like her, huh? Waiting for her, uh, waiting for the shop to be open that morning to get cleaning supplies. Folks, this case is incredible. I don't know what to believe. I don't want to believe that Amanda Knox and Raph had anything to do with this. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Rudy Guede did it all by himself and is trying to say, oh, it was somebody else. And of course, later on, changes his story, saying Amanda was there. Okay. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to have parts on this one uh, because there is so much information coming out of me and my brain is scrambling here because as I'm talking, there is facts and information swimming around in the back of my brain right now. And I don't want to forget what I really want to say. So I think we're going to break it down. Because I'm going to look down at my notes here. Let's see what I got. All right. Um, we talked about uh, the journalist, right? <clears throat> I could tell. My voice is starting. Okay. Uh, Kircher's family. You know, Meredith. Poor Meredith and her family. You see her family. They're trying to deal with all this crap. They don't know what to believe. Man. <clears throat> Meredith autopsy. There was male DNA found in her. And uh, I think that Rudy and her were messing around, uh, whether it was consensual or not. Uh, I guess he put her finger in her. Knox. This is her quote. This is from Knox. Quote, what happened to Meredith might have happened to me. End quote. Revealing quote. Again, it's all about her, isn't it? It really is. <sighs> she claims she was with Raffaele that night. Their phones were turned off. The bleach. And the fact that uh, witness saw her at the store. <laughs> Buying uh, cleaning supplies. Boy, I tell you, folks, I'm looking down at my notes here. Wow. Um, Magnini, the prosecutor slash cop, says in the doc that the victim, Meredith, was covered after she was killed with a blanket. And that this shows it was probably a woman that did that. Uh, Women tend to do that. To their victims. Because they feel bad. They don't want to look at the victim. So they cover him up. He's getting a lot of backlash because of that comment. I don't know how truthful that comment is. Like in law enforcement. Is that sort of known? That women killers. uh, Cover up their victims. And a man. Would never think of that. Interesting. Because I do a lot of research on. uh, Serial killers and just killers. It's fascinating. And not many of them are covered up. The men serial killers. Um, yeah. I, I've, off the top of my head. 
uh, a male serial killer or a male killer. Uh, they kill, and that's that's it. They, they leave. They do their deed, and they leave. You don't cover them up with anything. <clears throat> All right, moving on. Oh, this is good. The cops say that it was a staged break-in. Okay? There was a break-in. And Raffaele calls the cops, right? Right before they knock down Meredith's door, Raff calls the cops and explains there was a break-in. Nothing was taken. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) How does he know nothing was taken? Does he know all the possessions of everybody in that house? That's fishy. He calls the cops and says, there's been a break-in, but nothing was taken. How do you know that? Is he just sort of making shit up <laughs> because he's nervous? He doesn't really know what to say? Or is he saying it for a reason? Is it calculated? Was the break-in staged? Uh, there was tests done about this. People doing uh, little experiments about it. The fact that there was a rock used to break the window. And they noticed that there was glass on top of a room sort of in disarray. So you got a break-in, and someone's looking for shit, and they're just throwing things around. And the glass was found below and on top of the mess. So if you break the window before you mess up the house, all the glass would be underneath the shit. But in this case, the glass was both underneath and on top. You'd think it would just be in the bottom. How does glass that's been broken get on top of disarray, clothes, and whatnot? Very interesting. Uh, They say that the rock was too big to be thrown because it was on like a second story, the window that was broken into. I disagree. The rock really wasn't that big and somebody could have taken it and thrown it that far into the house. The point of question is, though, that it was on the second story and kind of hard to get into. Why would anybody that came in through that window choose to come in through a window that was hard to get into? I'm not saying it was impossible. They had somebody do it. It was possible. But the shutters were closed. So the guy had to climb up, okay, open shutters, climb back down, get a rock, throw it, (laughs) okay, break it, okay, and climb back up, And go through the window. I guess you could do that. It's possible. And Rudy Guede had a history of breaking into not only houses, but businesses to steal shit. He had a history of this, folks. A lot is pointing negative towards Rudy Guede here. I'll be honest with you. The more research I do, boy, Rudy. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. He had a history of just uneven lifestyle. His dad was a bad dad. His mom didn't give a shit about him. He bounced around. Uh, Feel sorry for the young man. Uh, Didn't have really a father figure. He tried to find one. um, And he got caught up in just being bad. Robbing things. Being a thief. And he would break in through windows. I mean, and this is what happened. So in that sense, although glass is found on top of shit... uh, For me, Rudy broke into that place that night. 
He broke in there. We're going to end it, I think, with that notion. That, to me, in a very crucial part of this, is that, was that a staged break-in? The cops believe it was. I don't. Rudy went in there, man. He broke that window. He got in there. What was he doing there? (laughs) Was he robbing the place? Probably. I think he was. I guess his rent was due. (laughs) Okay, it was first of the month. The dude's rent was up. He needed shit. And felt nobody was in that house at that time. And decided to break in. But what was Amanda's involvement? Did she have any involvement? And why so much evidence towards her involvement and RAF? Because there's so much more, folks. In the second part, we're going to go over her behavior surrounding this whole thing. Okay? And a lot of people are going to be like, so she's weird. And she didn't react in the way that you wouldn't. So what? She's weird. It doesn't convict her. And I get it, folks. I do. I see that side. And people saying that, I go, you're right. (laughs) How dare I do that? I mean, really. I I don't know how someone would react in that situation. If they're not like me, they're going to react differently. I get it. So we'll dive into that, really. I mean, we. I hope you tune in next week to get my opinion on how she acted after the death of her roommate. Very suspicious behavior. And all the other things that she admitted to the cops. So fascinating. Please tune in next week. Thank you so much for your support of this show. Supporting the docs. My actors in movies are hardly getting any support. They're just not. And it was so refreshing to be getting positive, a little bit of negative, comments on my show. It means so much. The effort I put into this podcast. The effort, the time, the resources. And finally, like, I'm getting views. I'm looking. And on YouTube, there are people clicking on my show, man. They're the docs. People care about documentaries. They want to hear other people's opinions on them. And see if they agree with them. And there you go. More docs coming your way. And thank you for listening to this show. You have no idea how much it means to me. It means so much. It does. And... I'm generally a very quiet guy. I, my opinions really don't go further than my front door. Uh, and that's just the way I am. So it's strange that here I am sort of spouting off my opinions on certain topics. And in this case, uh, Amanda Knox, Meredith Kircher, and Raffaele Selecito. And... Uh, uh, it's done in my house. The podcast I'm doing, I'm doing it in my house. So I, it's not going past my front door. So that continues in the actor's room. I hope all of you out there are great. I'm doing okay. 
It's summer here. It's July here in Cleveland. Weather, beautiful. And I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going back to work next month. Thank God. Finally, I know when I'm going back. And that's great. I hope all of you are enjoying life. Enjoy your family. Appreciate your family. Give them an extra hug. Tell them you love them. Meredith Kircher's family is without Meredith because of what happened that fateful night, November 1st, 2007. Her life was ripped away from her. And we're going to try to get into what happened that night. I'm going to do the best I can to reveal different scenarios, which I hope you find fascinating. I will reveal those next episode. So please tune in. This is a fascinating topic. This whole case is just riddled with many different theories. Why did Amanda do this? Why did Raffaele say that? What's really up with Rudy Guede? Do you believe anything, he says? Magnini, the prosecutor, the cop. Boy, what an arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, what he did to Amanda and Raph. How dare he? We'll get into all that stuff, man. Next episode. I'm out. Good luck. God bless. Stay safe, sane, all that good stuff. Thanks again. God bless you. Have a good one.